We are in Ephesians, and if you have your Bibles and want to turn there, we are in Ephesians chapter 6, the last chapter of Ephesians, and we're continuing on this amazing letter. And today especially, I think I'm really excited to share this with you, but think that oftentimes we we get things kind of half a turn wrong or we miss stuff, so it's so fun to show the amazing depth of what the Scriptures say, particularly today to kids and to servants or workers to fathers and to masters. So I want to start with this. So you've heard of Sherlock Holmes and Watson. So they went camping. And they went out camping and they, they, they you know, set up their tents and they had a campfire and they went to sleep. And then, you know, early in the morning, Holmes wakes up Watson. He said, Watson, look up. What do you see? Watson opened his eyes and he looked at the sky. He says, I see millions of stars, he said. Then Holmes was like, well, what do you deduce from that? He said, well... I deduce if there's millions of stars, there must be billions of planets. And and then theologically, I deduce that God must be amazingly massive to to make all these things. And we're so small and God's so big. And and I can kind of deduce by the stars that it's about 3.15 in the morning. What do you deduce, Sherlock? Holmes looks back at him for a minute. Watson? Someone has stolen your tent. whole thing, right? Looking up at the sky and being in the tent, but the tent's gone, and now I see the star. And I think, oh, you know, it's about the stars, and we get a soliloquy on the stars, and, and, and now we're missing, hey, wait a minute, it's actually that the tent is gone. Today's text can be a little bit like that. Sometimes we miss because we start to build a whole theology around, rightly so, obeying parents and what it means like that. We miss some of the depth of the theology that's in there. So I want to share it with you. This idea. You know, we are right in the middle of a passage, right in the middle of a presentation of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Will you stop with me and just think about that before we go any further? For us to be filled with God. Because the Holy Spirit is God. He seals us. He's in us. The most remarkable thing you can ever, ever have is to have Holy Spirit of God in you. And the statement of the Bible this morning is that if you trust in Jesus, you have him. You have him. And so we've been through that, and that's chapter in 5, and I'm going through 5, 18 and 19, and we jump back in and go to the Spirit, and that last line of what it looks like to show that filling is submission. Submitting one to another. This, I don't care about me anymore, I just... I'm so taken up with the wonder of who God is and who God in Christ is. And he loves me and it's true. And, and I'm his kid. And, and, and he tells me that I've been adopted into his family and things have changed. And so this starts to work on your heart. It's not a work of you. It's amazing. And we looked at the midst of that, husbands and wives, last week. And then this week, two other relationships that show the wonder of what it means to be filled Husbands and wives imaging Christ in the church, right? Or I should say church and Christ. It's amazing. It's amazing because if you really get after the wonder of what it means to be filled with the Spirit, it's not sensational. You know what I mean? Like I say, ooh, Holy Spirit's in you. I think, ooh, well, are you speaking language I don't understand? Are you rolling on the floor? Are you laughing hysterically? No, actually you're submitting to one another. Or you're showing this relationship we're going to talk about now, this wonder of of thinking differently about obedience. 
So I, I, I want to talk to you today about obedience. And here it is in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, particularly to start with obedience and family relationships. So, chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And again, this isn't a statement from nowhere. It's explaining what being filled with the Spirit is. It's amazing the simple obedience to parents in the Lord is showing your filling. Wow. Okay, okay, before we even go into it, you, you gotta get, you gotta get a little more with me. <laughs> this is not new news. So one of the things is we, we tend to, because it's the start of a chapter and we think, oh, he's starting a new topic or something like that. It's not a new topic. It's a continuation, like I just said, a filling with the Spirit. And then the wonder is that Paul stops in this culture and he talks to who? The kids. The word there is kids. In this culture, it's not the idea that, oh, well, hey, you know, really what the Bible needs to tell kids is that they need to obey No, that's already part of the culture they're in. You realize that in the Greek culture and in the Roman culture, the time when the Bible is written and Paul is writing these things, it's not some new fanciful statement, kids obey your parents. You had to obey your parents. In the Roman family, if you don't obey your father, if you don't obey your authority, they kicked you on the street. You had no standing, nothing. The idea of obeying the person over you or you'll get beaten or killed, not, not some like, oh, Now, the wonder is this. Kids who had no standing whatsoever and hear God in the pen of Paul turns and wants to talk, not to the parents, to the kids. It's amazing. I think kids are too small to be talked to or they can't reason or they can't know. No, but not God doesn't think that. He turns and says, this is for the kids. Kids, I'm talking to you now. I know there's not too many this morning. Maybe online. Maybe later, but even we can learn. As I says, okay, the heart of God, talk to kids. And Paul says, oh, you know what? Obedience, which is part of the blood and air you're breathing in, everything is regulated by somebody else for you. But I'm telling you something amazing. Actually, it's right. Right? Your parents, obeying your parents and the Lord for this is right. Break it down with me. So children, little children, ideas, children in the home especially children not at age. Kids obey your parents. It's not really talking about 55-year-olds obeying 78-year-olds. It's not setting up some lifelong hierarchy. It's not, it's not, this is not setting up a new foundation for moral living because it's already the, the, the structure of society that is at the time. It's this imperative to kids, and kids are told to keep on obeying their parents in the Lord, listening to, answering, following, obeying. Okay, in the Lord means in the realm of our God, not when they're asking you to outside right sin or to do something evil, but, but this is righteous, says Paul. Right. Just. That's the word group, right? That's the actual word means righteous. It's the same word that's used a bunch of time in the in the Bible to say this is righteousness or here's your righteousness or this is even your justification or, or being just. It's this word. So the idea, it's not hard to understand, right? The idea is that, that, that you, as a child, 
might want to be on your tablet or read a book or do whatever you prefer to do, but your parent says, come to dinner. You don't ignore them. You come to dinner. This is right, says Paul. Your parent gives you an instruction, you obey it. Paul's not speaking against appeals. He's not speaking against interaction. He's not asking them to do something different. He's setting an image. Image, think about it. He's setting an image of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Why? Because Jesus is a son, right? And he had a dad. And what did he do? What did, what's the image Jesus set up of a son to a father? Everything his dad said. That's the image. Jesus said, I don't do anything, he says in John. I don't do anything except what the Father has given me to do. I'm so sold out to what the Father tells me to do that I'm just doing what he says. In fact, that image in the Garden of Gethsemane, you remember that, where Jesus is praying and he's asking. He doesn't want to go to the cross because of the suffering. He's willing. He goes. I'm not saying that, but he's crying tears of blood, it says. Saying, I know the suffering. Could this, could this burden be passed from me? And then he says what? Yet not my will, but your will, Dad. That's amazing. And so to be filled with the Spirit, right? As a child thinking about Jesus. Image that, says Paul, incredibly, wonderfully, but not doing your own thing, but obeying your parents. Look at what you get to image. Look at what filled with the Spirit and testimony. That's amazing. And you can have it as a kid. It's very cool. And then it gets even more interesting. Verse 2, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Okay, so filled with the Spirit, obeying parents. And then he brings in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments. This is from Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, the fourth commandment if you're a Catholic, the fifth commandment if you're an evangelical. This is the first commandment with a promise is the interesting bit, right? Stay with me because, again, Paul's not establishing a moral code. It's already there in the culture. It's not some new Christian thing for kids to obey their parents. It was established, this is what you do. Uh, but, but the idea in the culture was do this or God will get you or your dad will. He's talking, though, Paul is about the wonder of responding to the incredible love of Jesus and being filled with the Spirit. And he points to even in the commandments God gave, remember those? Look at the heart of God for you and me. The heart of God was to bless his people, to bless you. And so Paul says, look, I'm telling you, you need to do this. And I'm giving you this commandment because it's a blessing to you. God gave it to Israel. Go well, live long in the land I'm giving you, is what it says in Exodus 20. And sometimes we think, sometimes we think, I think, sometimes I think, well, the Ten Commandments are there in order to bless me, all of them. But, but particularly, it only says that you'll live long and you'll be, go well with you about this commandment. So it doesn't say it of, well, if you avoid adultery, it will go well with you. If you avoid coveting, it will go well with you. 
That, that's kind of true. But this brought to our attention because of the wonder of how it images what? If I don't covet, that's really good. I ought not covet. It's a moral command. What does it image? Nothing. But if I obey my father and mother, what is it imaging? Jesus and his father. That, that's an amazing thing. That we get to reveal the image of Jesus obeying the father. And you go think about, well, God, he wants good things for me. He blesses me. And it doesn't even seem like doing this task that my parents give me because they're unreasonable and they're asking me to do this and I don't even want to do it. Why should I do that? Like I'm going to go fight and argue over whether it's fair or just or true or right. And I don't even have to do that. Instead, I say, what I want to do is image and what you need to do is image the incredible, wonderful, amazing submission of Jesus to his father. You see what's happening? Paul is writing to a group that has no standing and telling them the wonder of what they get, which is the Holy Spirit revealing Jesus and the Father through what they are doing. The most valuable thing you can ever have in your life is that God will use you. Look at who he's using. It's amazing. So this is what's new. It's Paul writing directly to the children who have no standing in society, who have to obey anyway, who are forced to obey. And he says to them, look, you're useful. You're filled with the Spirit. You're loved. And the obedience you're doing reflects the Son and the Father. That's so amazing. And so, so kids, obey your parents. It's righteous. And it's good for you. It may not seem like it, but it's true. And, and it really does... It really does open the door to you being taken advantage of because your parents are sinners. So Paul has something to say to them too, right? He changes in verse 4. He says, okay, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So this is kind of interesting because he switches, right? He, he, was, he was talking to children saying, obey your parents, and the word for parents is there. And then he turns around and he says, parents. No, he doesn't. <laughs> he says, fathers. There's a word for parents. It was in verse 1. He doesn't use that verse in, word in verse 4. He says, fathers. So particularly on fathers, and they're not provoking your kids to anger. I, I think why is because this is the imaging of the father and the son, right? And kids you get to by obeying your parents, plural. But then the authority figure I want to talk to, Paul says, is the dad. Because you're the head of the home. Don't, he says, ever provoke your children to anger. That is a very interesting choice. You know, you think, okay, well, the Bible's got to have a lot on parenting because parenting is so hard and so important. And so, so this is like one of the only passages in the whole Bible that talks about parenting, and it's like four verses long. Very few words devoted specifically to parenting in the Bible, in the New Testament. So I got to say, well, he's choosing his words very carefully. So I think, well, if I were me, I'd say, well, well, how about, how about dads? Don't pamper your kids. You'll spoil them. 
How about, how about, boy, uh, don't lie to them or abuse them or neglect them or be a bad example to them. But this is the thing. Don't provoke them to anger. Why? Isn't it because of the idea of authority, right? The most common emotion of the heart in response to authority is what? Frustration. You're telling me to do something I don't want to do or I don't think is right or I don't think is the wisest or I just don't think is good at all and I have to do what you say. I'm being forced and controlled. I'm not getting my way and so it devours all other emotions. And I think Paul's saying this because there's this huge temptation to, to, to fathers, and I'm one, to do or say or neglect things that will cause avoidable anger in your kids. You know, yelling, unjust, excessive punishment, hypocrisy, verbal put-downs, arbitrary demands for obedience based on nothing but your own whims. Don't do that, says Paul. Because God never does anything. Think about this. God never does anything that would cause legitimate anger in his children. The father doesn't. Everything he does is for us. Everything he does is perfect. We're never, never warranted in being angry with God. Ever. It happens. <laughs> but it shouldn't. We have a Father God who is loving towards us already. We respond by wanting to show that incredible love to our kids. So, so there's these stats, right? It says you have authority. You're laying down your life for your kids. You're thinking about not provoking them to anger because of your own issues, your own desires, and instead you're bringing them up, it says, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Books written about these two words. I think it's just a hendiasis. That means something. Two words put together to say, oh, look, this whole area. One is training or teaching or helping kids to go the right way. The other is, is, is warning and, and, and instructing about things that are the wrong way. You put them together. It's like, hey, think about what you're telling your kids about the word, about the Lord. Giving law to your kids so they know right and wrong. Giving gospel to know the instructions of the Lord, which is forgiveness and grace and the cross is the center of everything. Doing it in such a way that they see the cross and are never provoked. This is, this is right for you, Dad. Imaging the love of the Father for the Son. That's inside the home. That's spirit-filled showing. That's obedience to parents, little kids. It's amazing. That's Father, the Father heart of God for your kids. It's amazing. And it doesn't just... This, this amazing picture, and I hope you see how beautiful it is. It's amazing that society works this way, and God's in the daily tasks that we do, and the wonder of it. And it's not just inside, it's outside. Let me just really quickly... Go outside the home for a minute and talk about obedience outside the home. Incredible. Bond servants, he says, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Wow. It's like, pause. I get this stuff on kids and dads, but I'll tell you what. Whoa. This is amazing. The word is for slaves, right? For those who are indentured servants, those who are working for a master. The culture that Paul's in had this in a variety of settings. Paul doesn't distinguish. He just speaks to the relationship. He says these outside the family relationships where you're under authority, 
If you have a master, I think a master of any kind, not begrudgingly or questioningly or with contempt, but, but obey them like you're doing it for the Lord. Not just trying to do the least, not just trying to somehow show external obedience, but get a paycheck, but, but, but really from the heart, this engaging, amazing, deep, special, so much more than, than, than I'll put in my time and go home. Right? Isn't that what he's saying? He's saying if you're going to do something for someone else that's, that's making you do it or you're entering into a servant relationship with someone, you're saying, hey, I'll pay you money and you do this task for me. He's saying don't do the task just to get it done. Do it for the Lord. Jesus saved me. I have nothing without Jesus. His blood is my only hope. His forgiveness my life. And, and so if Jesus came to me and said, Dax, Dax, would you clean the toilets for me? Those toilets would be the most spick and span toilets you've ever seen in your life. Why? Jesus, everything to me. That's the thought, right? That, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the amazing wonder of, of that jumping and doing a task set for you by somebody else and doing it like it's the will of God like Jesus himself he says doing the will of God from the heart and it's 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 a good work not because of what's accomplished or what's done but because of the heart which is thinking I want to do this for the Lord and he says rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man knowing whatever good anyone does is he'll receive back from the Lord whether he's a bond servant or is free wow Hey, God sees it all. God's the one who gives blessings. He sees not the outside, but the inside. And so you get two people and both of them doing things. And one's doing some task and the Lord sees he's doing it from the heart. And he's just after it because he's just serving Jesus. The other one says, yeah, you know, I'm getting it done. But I, I'm really more interested in self-advancement and my own self. Jesus sees all that. God sees all that. And the wonder, the wonder of the Spirit is that, that we're, we're, we're hit, we're struck, this Ephesians 3 bit, right? Of saying, I get how, how amazing the love of Christ is for me. And that gives me this heart that says, you know what? He's everything. And it starts to flow out in the things we do. This is, this is spiritual. This is supernatural. He says it to masters too. Look what he says. Masters, do the same to them. A lot of times we skip that phrase. Do you see that? Do the same to them. What's that? Act like, act like you really want to lift them up. Act like you're serving them, your servants. To stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, there's no partiality with him. This controlling principle is the same. God sees. He's God. You're representing him, so be like him. Do the same. Render service with a good will. You have a role, so play it. God never threatens, so you don't threaten. God doesn't put you over other people. Everyone's equal. If you're imaging the head, image the head that is love and laying down his life for others and, and do that. And, and, and so all of these, right, all these four groups, not a new code that then each of the groups accuses the other of not keeping. Instead, Paul talks to each of them. He doesn't say, parents, make sure your children obey you because this is right. 
No, he talked to the kids. He said something else to dads. Each person who trusts in Jesus has the love of Jesus spilled all over them. You're adored. You can't even understand how deep, and that means no longer thinking of personal status, but the wonder of showing the love that you've experienced. And so there it is. Kids, obey your parents right now. It's right. It's good for you. Fathers, never provoke, but always teach and train around the gospel. Slaves and workers, work like every single act is for God, is for Jesus. Masters, act like God himself without partiality, never threatening, serving. All of this because it images the right things. The relationships that really are underneath the things you're imaging. Okay. That was like 20 minutes or so of me giving you the theology. Did you get it? Children, obey your parents. Fathers, train them upright. Slaves, bondservants, man, do it for Jesus. Masters, act like God the Father. What's reality? I've sat through a hundred of these kind of sermons. Have you? What's reality? What's reality for kids? What's reality in your home? The the interesting to me is that unless you're willing to see what I just said as guidelines to try and maybe work on, the reality is what? We stink at this. We fail. Right? The, The... One of the most interesting things to me about all of these things is how poorly we actually do. In the face of Paul even laying out, look at the reasons. Think about the reasons for the kids just for a minute with me as an example. So, So take the kids. So kids, obey your parents because it's right. That's a great reason. Righteousness. What's the second reason? Obey your parents because it's good for you. That's called self-interest. You want to live a long time? Obey your parents. Okay, so you take these two reasons that are fantastic reasons. They're great reasons. You should say, wow, I really want to do it because God says it's righteous. This is righteousness. And then, and then secondarily, God says it's good for me. Like me personally, it, I'll, uh, wow, I want to do these things. Okay, now, now just if you're a parent, think back. If you're a kid and you've all been a kid, think of yourself as a kid. How did you do? With these massive motivations. I know how it goes in my house. It went with my kid, one of my kids, when she was two. Okay, stay on the carpet. Don't step off the carpet. Kid walks to the edge of the carpet, looks at me, and then goes, hmm. Come to dinner. Okay, Dad. Five, ten minutes later. Uh, did you hear me? Oh, I forgot. Okay, clean your room. Okay, room. Walk in. You call this clean? I could be talking about me as a kid, right? Or me as a kid. I, I, I'm motive, motive by make, making me look good, and so it looks like I've done something that I haven't really... So I, how do we do? We do terribly. Notice what I focused on, the kids. Why? I'm trying to avoid the dad part. 
Dad, never, ever, ever provoke your child. Why did you not clean a room? What am I doing? Getting frustrated at them. My righteous anger. What does it provoke? Fear. What am I doing? Provoking bad response in them. What am I? Failing. God doesn't do that to me. In the millions of ways that I don't obey him, he doesn't scream in my face. There I go. Being a terrible image of God the Father to my kid. A servant. Come on, worker. Have you worked at all? When, when, when your boss gives you a task, you don't attack it like it's from Jesus himself. It may, may, maybe some of us do. If you do, you're amazing. I get tired. And you know what? Some of the things they give me to do aren't very good, so I kind of do it. It's good enough for government work. Isn't that a saying? What's that mean? It means I'm not doing it for Jesus. It means I'm doing it for something else. I'm kind of getting it done. We're like that all the time in all these things. If, if you get asked to do something, you don't do it like it's to perfection and to wonder you. You do it like it's, well, it's good enough. And I'm tired. And a master? Never, ever threatening, never, ever getting upset that someone's not doing something as you think they ought to do it and not get it. No, we, we just, in every single one of these, in every single one, we fail. What do we do? So on the one hand, we can try harder. We can be better if we get each other to try to, together. You might get subjectively up a little. I can give you a poke and a prod like this morning. So, man, you're right. I'm convicted. I'm going to try harder. It'll last for 15 minutes or two days or three weeks. I don't care. And then what will you be doing again? Failing. And even in your very best as a child, and saying, man, I was a child once. I remember there were seasons because I was a pretty, pretty submissive kid and I, I did the best I could. I, 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 I saw and tried, but, you know, sometimes, especially if my parents weren't exactly giving me instructions that I liked or thought was done in a nice way, I, I still fell down. Your failure. And you know what? The Bible says you are. Look at this. Look, look at Romans 3.10 with me for a minute. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. So take, take the, the, the kid command. Hey, kids, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That word right is the same word that's here as righteous, where the Bible says no one is righteous. So put those together and think about it. It would be good if you obeyed your parents, because that is right. However, no one is Right is a statement of you're not doing it well enough to by your behavior be righteous. So, so you could try harder, but you're still going to be in that trap. Why? Because the Bible doesn't say, as it is written, none is righteous, well, except for you after you've worked at it for a while in Jesus. So the, the second way is better. To speak the truth that our whole motivation is grounded in the forgiveness of sin. The reason why Paul's writing these instructions to me is because of the forgiveness of sin that I've tasted. Because of the, the love of Christ that I've tasted. That's what the love of Christ is, the forgiveness of sin. And so to actually have a glimmer of these things is the Spirit's filling to love it when I see it. But I don't ever expect it and always forgive because the forgiveness is what I've actually taken in. Right? So, so parents, what, 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 what does this prompt me to do, Dad? 
when I see I'm never to provoke my kid, I'm always to train them in the instruction of the Lord, which, by the way, that instruction of the Lord, go read Deuteronomy 6.20. When your kid comes and asks you, why do we do these crazy things? And you're supposed to say, let me just tell you about how awesome God is. And I don't do that. That kid says, why are you telling me to do this crazy thing? And I say, because I said so. Do it. And God told you to obey me. Jumping right into Paul's instructions to them instead of his instructions to me. And, and, I, and, I, and I hurt my kids. And So what's the best thing is to come around and say, you know what? The Bible tells me to not provoke you. Would you forgive me, kid? We've got an amazing Savior. We live in forgiveness, right? Parents ask forgiveness. Kids, kids, you can ask forgiveness. You know, it's one of the things that sometimes I feel like we don't train. We're trying to train up our kids, and so we train them, and you've got to do this because God tells you you've got to obey me, obey me, obey me. But the reality thing you're trying to train them in the instruction and discipline of the Lord is what it means to be forgiven. What it means that the blood of Christ worked for them. They can say, Dad, I messed up. Forgive me. And you say, you know what? You're clean in Christ. Forgiveness is our model. Self-advancement and doing what's right will not get you very far, even though it's true in this world that external obedience will help you. The problem is inside, we're never that pure. Confession and absolution, living in forgiveness, this gets you to stand. And, And so when you're hit by how you're not obedient, don't double down, ask for forgiveness. When you're struck by how you're provoking anger, don't stop provoking anger. You should, but really you need to ask for forgiveness. When you realize you're working half-heartedly, it's going to be much more coarse. No, don't start sweating more. Ask for forgiveness. When you see threatening, don't, don't smile it off. Ask for forgiveness. We don't make restitution. We come back to the cross. That's where we live. Jesus has done it all for every one of us together. We can rejoice in it. And so the command remains, and it is beautiful when the Holy Spirit impresses on us by the wonder of what Christ done for us that we want to be in these things. Oh, it's good that we desire. Oh, that the Lord might see. But our righteousness is that Jesus has done it all, right? Jesus obeyed his dad perfectly. Jesus in instructing us never provokes anger. Jesus the servant obeying his dad from the heart and as a master never threatening. But he is the king of kings. That righteousness of Jesus is ours. There's our righteousness. That's why we do these things.